it's so important for us as leaders to be able to take that bold step and ask those questions. And again, have our teams and, and our folks dictate how much they want us to know, but it's not going to happen. They're not usually going to come in and freely offer that information until we ask and show that we're genuinely interested in their lives. The higher up you are on the executive food chain, the more inaccessible you may seem. Real leaders make sure lines of communication are always open and work to shorten the distance between themselves and their teams. I'm Rebecca Metter, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. Denzel Ross's latest role is CEO at Northwest Healthcare Tucson, but he's been in healthcare for a long time and an executive in a number of facilities. Throughout his extensive career, he's learned how important it is to build a culture of caring where people feel like they're doing great things and their voices are heard. In this episode, Denzel talks about how executives have to be visible and build relationships. What's the best way to do that? In Denzel's experience, by getting genuinely curious about people and having a heart for listening. First, let's hear how Denzel's love for technology propelled him into the most human industry of them all, healthcare. My background uh, is in computer science, so I tell people I'm a nerd by trade. And I, I love computers. I love technology. And as I completed my computer science undergrad degree and I was going into my master's program, I thought about next steps for me and where I wanted my career to lead. And at that time, there was a lot of conversation around automating medical records and the infrastructure in healthcare. And so I decided to take that route. And I thought I would be going the route of a CIO chief information officer uh, at a hospital. But once I was given the opportunity to really join uh, and become part of a hospital, and I started in administration, and I fell in love with it, and I found I was good at it. And as you could expect, one thing led to another, and different opportunities came my way, and I was able to excel and be successful. And I found myself moving up the ladder pretty quickly purely because of the opportunities that were laid in front of me and given to me. And uh, it, it's been an amazing journey. I've seen healthcare change and, and morph into different things. I've been in healthcare now well over 12 years in the executive area, about seven years now. And uh, it, it's just been an exciting time. And as I lead into uh, this new year, joining uh, Northwest Medical Center, Hawthorne in Tucson, Arizona as the CEO. Uh, such an amazing opportunity. And I feel so blessed to be selected as the uh, leader for that hospital. It's a brand new facility scheduled to start seeing patients in April of this year. And so I get to join an amazing team and help them create and set the tone for how we care for patients and how we care for the community and how we care for each other as well. It's really interesting, Denzel, because I feel like there are not a lot of uh, sort of tech folks or computer science people or nerds, as you put us in uh, quotations, <laughs> that get into healthcare administration. What did you fall in love with? I mean, you said you fell in love with administration. Like, what was it that really spoke to you? I think what really spoke to me was the opportunity I had to be the voice for or patients who typically didn't feel like they had a voice. In administration, I had the opportunity to lead projects. I had the opportunity to create and, and make decisions that would 
evidently impact not only our patients, but our staff and our teams. And so I found myself in that realm and I found that I loved it. I found that uh, working with people instead of working with systems, I found that I was good at bringing teams together. And so I really just excelled in that field and of course, continued uh, in that field to where I am today. I love that. And I also love how you shared that you wanted to be the voice for patients or for folks who don't have a voice it's something that I think in healthcare, we really take it seriously because it's so hard to advocate for yourself when you're in the bed. And so when you have someone in leadership that is so focused on voice of the patient and elevating that, I think it really speaks to the type of leader that you are, where you're putting people first in, in all your decisions. Is that how you've kind of seen it trickle out or how do you see that impact your decisions on a day-to-day basis? Definitely. So I I think in this world of healthcare, especially with the last two years of what we've seen, if if at any moment that people in healthcare don't believe that healthcare is the business of people, then you're already a step back. It starts with the staff and the team and, and being able to create a culture and an environment where people come to work, not because they have to, because they need a paycheck, but because they want to. They want to feel a part of something greater than themselves. And uh, they want to be able to be in an environment and a culture where they could be their true selves and operate at the top of their license and do great work uh, and things like that. And so being able to create that environment, I think that's where it starts first. And then one I think once you're successful to any degree in creating that environment, then it flows over to the patient and being a patient-centered organization where we put the patient at the center of our decisions. When we make decisions or we change the way we do things, you know, we go back and we ask ourselves, how does this affect the patient? And what does this mean for the ability for us to continue to care for the patient the way that they deserve to be cared for? And when we're able to answer that question with our decisions, then I think you know that you're on the right path. And so it it definitely means a lot to be patient-centered and and to be able to offer uh, all patients not just the care that they need, but the conversation around why it is we do the things we do and, and, and have them be part of their care as well. I think that what you're sharing now is something that has become especially in the last couple of years, sort of at the forefront of every executive's mind, but it's this concept of healthcare as a business of people where we have to start with the team and the culture because that's what kind of sets the tone and lays the groundwork for the patient experience. So when you think about patient experience and team member experience, you can't really look at them in silos. They have to be sort of assessed collectively. Is that how you've been thinking about this all this time? Because I feel like with the pandemic, that is actually triggered people even more to realize we've got to prioritize our culture first and our people first. Exactly so. Uh, And I think the pandemic basically just showed up. What my hope is that a lot of healthcare administrators and leaders in healthcare already knew before, where you can't take care of the patient if you don't have staff, if you don't have teams. And you can't take care of the patient to a certain degree and a certain level if your team members aren't bought in to what you're trying to accomplish. And so I always have the message to my teams that all focus is there first, because again, without them, we can't take care of patients. And we see that now more than ever when we have such a shortage of nursing. And because of that, we see how that has 
increased the wait times. It's decreased some of the access. All across the country, we continue to hear people dying outside of hospitals because we can't take care of them. And so, again, it's very important to make sure that our, our teams, they feel the love, they feel like they're wanted, they feel like their roles are important, they feel like they could come to work and do great things. And more importantly, I think they feel like they could come to work and speak up when things aren't looking right or things aren't going right and not feel like they're going to be retaliated against because it's all about creating that culture of caring. And part of that culture of caring is being able to speak up when things aren't going right and not have it come down to finger pointing, but asking questions to learn. Where did we fall short? Where did we make a mistake? And how can we move on and make sure that doesn't happen again? What are some of the things that we can do as leaders from your experience to create that culture of openness and authenticity where people show up, they feel valued, and they feel like they can be them? I think it starts by being visible. We as leaders, I've heard staff in multiple organizations, even organizations that I wasn't part of, but I've heard staff talk about, well, I don't know who my leaders are or I don't see them. And because of that, they feel like we don't understand what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. And when they feel that way, they feel like they are in a silo. And so by being visible, I think it starts there by being able to break down those silos. And then when I round on my staff, I ask them a, a series of questions. And I just don't ask them these questions just to tick it off a, a checklist, but I ask them because I really want to know. I ask them, hey, what do you enjoy about being here? And take those answers and we try to maximize those answers. And I also ask, what are the things that if you had the opportunity to change, what would those things be? I also ask, do you have all the tools and equipment to be successful? Because if we're expecting them to do certain things and operate at a certain level, but we aren't giving them the tools that they need, then they feel like they're starting a step back. And so, uh, again, I think by being visible, having those conversations, and then do what you say that you will do. And so when I talked to staff and I said, look, you brought up an issue that I think is valid. Let me look into that. I make sure that I look into it. And then I make sure that I round with them to close the loop to say, hey, I looked into it and this is what I found. And this is what we're going to do about it. Or we are going to hold on doing anything uh, on that topic. But this is the reason why. Sharing the why. Um, Not just telling them that, yeah, we're not going to fix that. I think once we're able to clue them in and share with them what those decisions are, and why we're making those decisions, how it's going to either benefit or affect them. I think they buy in to what what we're trying to do as an organization even more. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that that you're talking about is sort of this concept of the follow-up and the transparency. And I think one thing that we like to do in healthcare is we like to ask a lot of questions. We love surveying and we survey the patient a lot in all kinds of ways. We're always asking the patient things. And we know one of the worst things we can do is we can ask the patient for something, they can give us an answer, and then we can go ahead and just do the opposite and just ignore whatever the response was. And that's the worst thing we can do. That's definitely worse than, than not asking the question in the first place. And I think that's so true for team members. Don't ask team members what you can do differently or how we can improve if you can't actually deliver on some of it and then have that transparency. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I was part of an organization that did this and I thought it was just amazing. And I was part of of that. But they had a you asked, we listen board. 
and they put it up in one of the high traffic areas. And what it is was we, uh, of course, we read all of the reviews and comments from our employee surveys. And when there were items that we can affect and we fixed or we implemented or we changed, we put it up on the board as a gentle reminder to say, you asked and we listened. And so something as simple as uh, I remember one of them being, you know, in, in the winter months, it gets dark early. And so for staff coming in at night, if they're coming in at six and seven, it was already dark and, and they felt unsafe. And so we worked with the city. We installed streetlights. We had our security do uh, extra rounding. So they had extra presence in the parking lots. And so we put it up on the board. You asked, you brought up a, a situation or an example about safety on the campus, and we listened. Here's what we did. Sometimes it's so hard, I feel like, for team members to really share their truth because they're afraid. If what they share is is appropriate, if maybe they're going out of line to feel a certain way. And I think about this a lot at Wambi because I always think about the unpopular opinion and how we don't want to just quash the unpopular opinion if like the group on the call may disagree with the one person. But that one idea might actually be something that's transformative. And so I'm curious about how you create an environment, even on a micro level, to have conversations that are authentic, real, where people can share. I think it starts with building relationships. I've had employees who um, have come to me and have opened up about things. And as part of the conversation, I ask, well, have you shared this with your direct leader? And they say no. And I ask why? And they said, well, I don't know him that well, right? Well, I don't know her that well. And I asked the question, why is that? You work a lot closer with them than you work with me, but you were willing to share with me. Why is that? And I've heard things like, well, you actually stop and talk to us when you're walking in the halls and you're rounding and, and you ask about my family, how they're doing, and you ask about my kids and you ask about the job and, and my leader doesn't do that. And uh, of course, I was able to share that feedback with that leader, but I think it starts with building that relationship. And by relationship, I don't mean we need to be best friends and, and hang out after work, but it's really just about showing people that you care uh, about them and being authentic in the way that you lead. And then I think once you're able to establish those relationships, I think people look to see how you respond and what you do when they bring an issue or they bring an idea to you. And, and of course, not every idea is going to be executed. Not every issue is going to be solved that next day. But again, going back to what I said earlier, it's about the follow-up and the follow-through and to be able to meet with those people and say, hey, I heard you. I heard what you said, and I know that you have a concern. Let me tell you what it looks like from my angle and what we're going to do about it and why that is the decision that we're making. And that in of itself, I think people feel so much more included in the organization when they're able to have those conversations. And I think it starts with little things, right? And they test you. All right, well, I'm going to just throw this little thing out and see what you do with it. And once you're able to bring them back and make them part of the conversation, then I think you're able to have those in-depth conversations. Because I've seen it as well, too, where I've tried to reach out to staff and, you know, early on in, in my career or my time with an organization, and I don't have those relationships yet. And, and I hear little things that, yeah, we could take care of that today. We could fix that by the end of the week. And then I go and seek them out and say, hey, did you see that we took care of that issue that you brought up? Thank you. I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. And then by slowly doing that, 
then you hear about more and more things that may affect them greatly than the, just the little nuance that's here and there. So again, I think it starts with being visible, building that relationship, showing that you're an authentic leader, and following through when issues are brought to your attention. This podcast is all about the moments that kind of transform us. And I feel like we're not necessarily born to be super authentic. I mean, maybe we are born that way, but then we don't end up like expressing that through our career because of others or cultural norms that come into play. At least for me, I've experienced this where I kind of feel like I'm expressing a side of me that's very, you know, it's within a box of what is accepted in this type of environment that I'm working. And over time, it's taken me being very cognizant of that to try to shed it almost like shed the armor so that I can be my real self in my current role. How has that kind of transformed for you over time? And is there any moment that you can go back to that kicked that process off? One that comes to mind was I had a group of EVS employees who are Spanish speaking and they didn't have a lot of people around them, leaders that could speak Spanish. And I've had the luxury, I would say, of growing up and living out, born and raised in Trinidad, where there has a huge Spanish influence. I learned Spanish in high school, did some Spanish in college. And so I'm not fluent. I'm not the best in, in Spanish, but uh, I could hold a typical conversation. And one of the things that I found was that they later told me was they appreciated me speaking to them in their tongue. And to them, it felt like or sounded like that I was going the extra mile to understand who they were, understand their culture. And we were able to make some really strong uh, relationships with some of the EVS staff uh, at this hospital. And uh, while rounding, I had one of them share with me that they don't really have the opportunity to select their work schedule. And I said, tell me more about that. Why is that a problem for you? Who have you talked to? What has been the outcome? So I sat my fact finding and to give me some background, the last thing that I want to do is undercut their, their manager, right? So I also asked a question, have you had conversation with your direct leader? And it, it happened to be two of them. And they were sharing with me, well, we tried to, but we, we didn't really get anywhere with it and changes weren't made. But we feel like we see those changes happening with some other members of the staff. And so we, we question what's happening there. And so as I started to, to dig and I said, well, you know what, I need to ask some pointed questions to understand where you're coming from. And even though this person, uh, I knew she had kids and I knew the kid's name, we never got into great detail about the background of the kids. And turns out that they were the two ladies who were having this conversation with me were cousins and they both had special need kids. And because of that, it made it very difficult at times to get up very early in the morning and get moving. And I listened. And before I moved on to ask more questions to try to find a solution for them, I started asking about the kids because I, I knew very little. And it, I, I think it quickly showed them that, hey, I want to help you and find a solution, but I want to know a little bit more about you as the individual, right? Because we all have a story and we all have a background. 
And sometimes when we look at a solution or we look at a problem on the surface level and we don't fully understand what the background and, and, and the backstory is, it may force us to make a very surface level decision. So after hearing a little bit more about uh, the kids and the needs and some of those things, I said, okay, this is what I want to do. Let me have a conversation with your leader. And then I want for you guys to join in on that conversation if you feel comfortable, because then I want you all to share the backstory as well, because I think that's maybe what your leader is missing. And that leader was a very strong leader and uh, was very open to the conversation. And once we were able to bring that additional piece of information to him, he understood. And he was able to say, hey, you know what? I get it. Let me see what I could do. But at the end of that conversation, when the, the two ladies were excused, he asked me, Denzel, how do you know that information about them? I said, because I asked. I talked to him. And he said, you know what? I've always walked this very fine line of how much detail should I know about my staff and how much detail should I ask? And I said, let them dictate how much detail they share with you but they can't share or they probably won't share unless you ask. I've always taken that approach with teams. I will always ask the question and then preface it with, you tell me as much as you think I need to know, as much as you are willing to share and have those conversations with them. And and they saw that I was really concerned, not just about their work schedules, but about their family life because you know we're humans. When things aren't going well at home, I can't expect you to come in and leave all your troubles at the door uh, and then be the stellar employee and then just pick everything back up when you leave. We have challenges, too, that we have to work through. I want to be able to help you and lift that burden when I can. Oh, such a beautiful story about connecting to someone in a really vulnerable sort of way. You weren't fluent with Spanish, but like you were conversational. And so you took a chance. And then also just to go below the line, I say, like to go beneath the surface and really like dig in and find out about them. That's a beautiful thing. The stories are how we connect. It's how we work. It's how we show up in the world. I think a lot about the last like almost two years now with the pandemic. And then we had a ton of things come to the surface with George Floyd. And I know health equity is an area that, that you're passionate about. When things happen like that, that are significant in the public eye, can you share how you handled allowing folks to come forth with their full selves or how you did that to be able to share your heart around tough things, whether that be the pandemic or some of the the racial strife that kind of bubbled up to the surface in this very explicit way during the pandemic? That is such a, a difficult topic and conversation for people of color. And I don't want to speak for all people of color, but I know there are many, many people of color that I know feel this way. But I have always shied away from having those conversations around racially charged incidents like we saw with George Floyd. And George Floyd was, as you know, one of many. And for so long, myself, along with so many other people of color, we shied away from having those conversations because the way that I see it is that I did not know the heart in which the person listening to me had. 
And I didn't want them to hear me speak and take it for anger when it was really passion. And specific to the George Floyd situation, I had a conversation with our former CEO that I had no intention of having a conversation, but we were in a meeting one day and there was something that was said and I responded in a sort of a jerk of a reaction type response, of course, not unprofessional in any way, but I responded and the the meeting quickly moved on. And after the meeting, he called me back into his office and he said, I had no intention of having this conversation with you this morning, but I feel like I need to ask the question. And he said, why did you respond the way that you did? And this person I knew, I had worked with a couple of years before, and I knew that he had the right heart and the air to listen to what I had to say. And we had the conversation about the significance of what we saw on that faithful day happen with George Floyd, and then how often it had happened before. And then on top of that, just consider how many times it had happened without us even knowing. We just happened to, to now in this day and age, over the last couple of years, there's been a push for body cameras on police officers and everyone has a, a cell phone and now everyone is recording everything. And so we've seen a lot of things come to light that we could look back and think about how often did these things happen that we don't know about. And he's a white male. And I was able to share some of my personal run-ins with uh, law enforcement that I had. And I really opened up and, and shared with him a lot of things that I know as a Black man in America that he wouldn't understand purely because of the color of his skin. And he agreed. And he shared some of that with me. And an hour and a half later, after we both sat in his office, door closed, both of us just bearing our hearts. He asked the question, Denzel, how can I as a white male help this situation? Because in a lot of situations, a lot of cases, people tend to feel like this is not my problem. And it is more of a social problem than it is a black and white thing. And how can I as a white male in America help? And my answer to him was, say something. When you see it, call it out. Because when we call it out, again, without someone with the right heart to listen, it could easily be seen as anger. When really and truly, it's the passion that we have to being seen as equal that we're crying out for. When you hear the, the terms Black Lives Matter and you think about that, we're asking to matter. We're not asking to matter any more than our fellow counterparts. We're asking to matter because it doesn't seem like we do. And so, uh, you know, that conversation was one that was very difficult. And when I sat back uh, after the conversation, I realized that I hadn't had that conversation or talk about some of the incidents that I was involved in personally. It's been a decade plus since I last spoke about it. And I think it's because, again, we feel like no one would listen, that we tend to tuck these emotions away. And we know what that happens when we don't talk about our feelings and we don't express our feelings, but we feel like we have no avenue. At least I felt like I had no avenue 
until that day. And that was one of the most refreshing days that I could remember in my career, even though it had nothing to do with my career per se. But I walked away from that conversation with like a weight just off of my shoulders and off of my chest because I was finally able to talk to somebody about it that I knew had the right heart to listen. And so after that, we got together and he asked me numerous times, how can I help? What can I do? And after that, we connected with the Office of African-American Affairs here in Albuquerque. We worked with them on an eight-part podcast to talk about discrimination in eight different aspects to include healthcare, education, policing, the arts, music. And uh, we involved a number of different African-Americans or people of color across the city in, in different leadership roles. And then we also hosted a citywide conversation where we invited a lot of people to just talk. And, and we, we, we got so much great feedback about that. I look back and I'm so happy and appreciative to him for wanting to be part of this conversation. And it was so impactful. And I think we as leaders, we need to create environments and cultures where people feel free to open up and ask those questions. Because once we were able to start uh, facilitating those conversations, we found that there were so many other people who wanted to be part of the conversation, but just didn't know how to get it started. Thank you so much for sharing that, Denzel. That is an unbelievable story of, frankly, bravery for you to be able to share that level of your heart and your experience of something that was really personal to you. And I also feel like it's a beautiful example of how listening and looking for the right signs can really help to allow people to open up when they're ready. Because you were kind of ready, it seemed like at that moment, but you took a big leap of faith trusting him in sharing your experience. And that's where this unbelievable transformative moment and conversation happened that opened up a lot of additional pieces like you were sharing with the podcast and getting other groups involved. So that's just such a beautiful example of when people can show up for each other. And, you know, I I had probably had the opportunity to open up and share with other folks, and I chose not to. And it was only because, again, I had a relationship with this person and I understood the reason for his question or or where he was coming from. And it wasn't uh, a situation where he was asking because, hey, this doesn't make sense or help me see your side of it. But it was really more about, hey, I really don't know. I cannot begin to understand what you feel. Please let me in uh, and help me see what that difference is. And so uh, I felt comfortable taking that chance there that in the past, I didn't. And uh, I chose not to have those conversations at the time. It's interesting, too, because when we ask questions as a leader, it's kind of like you don't ask the questions that you know the answers to, right? You should be asking questions that you really need to know. You know, need to know where someone's coming from an experience. You need to know about someone's reality. And that's scary, I think, for someone to just act, like to lean into that. But we have to. I feel like as leaders, it's probably one of the most important things we can do. I totally agree. Because I think so many times we as leaders, we're seen as intimidating. 
right? Oh, he's the boss. I don't want to bug him down with this thing that may seem small, or I don't want to waste his time. And so I think that's where we have to take the step out and say, no, you're not wasting my time. And it's not small because it's a big deal to you. And so if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to me. And I think putting yourself out there, again, we've talked about uh, the term being your authentic self is showing that. I think that's what people want to see. And and the more people can see that, the more comfort it brings to them about opening up. Uh, that story that I shared with the two EVS workers, the minute that I was able to step away and start asking questions about their kids, I think I no longer became a, a healthcare executive to them, but I became Denzel again. And it's almost like I became a human again to him. And it's a lot easier to have that conversation with a human than a title or a role. And so it's so important for us as leaders to be able to take that bold step and ask those questions. And again, have our teams and, and our folks dictate how much they want us to know, but it's not going to happen. They're not usually going to come in and freely offer that information until we ask and show that we're genuinely interested in their lives. Such a great point. And I know that your next organization, as you start there as the CEO, is going to really benefit from that type of leadership starting uh, at the top. And so lots of exciting things to come. Okay, well, Denzel, now we are going to do a little shift in our conversation today. We're going to take a beat and I'm going to ask you a few speed questions to get to know the authentic Denzel. So we'll start off with a quick question. If you could be outstanding in anything outside of what you're already really great at, what would you choose and why? I came to the U.S. on a basketball scholarship, but if it was up to me and I had my choice, I would be a professional soccer player. Love that. What position did you play in basketball? I was a uh, sometimes small forward, sometimes power forward, depending on how we lined up uh, on the court. And how about in football? I was a last stopper because I'm a pretty big guy. And so I'm usually the biggest guy, the enforcer on the field. And so I grew up playing a last stopper or a sweeper. I've never met you in person, Denzel, so I couldn't get a feel for how big you actually are. But I was trying to imagine this basketball player turned professional soccer player. So I'm 6'4". <laughs> I'm a pretty big guy, but um, you know, uh, I think for, for my size and weight, I can move and I have pretty good footwork. So I think I might have been able to be a pretty good soccer player. I'm very impressed. I, I'm, I'm a volleyball player, but I ended up playing intramural soccer football. I wasn't very good. They put me in the goal, but I feel like you know we, we did win the intramural championship. Okay, next question. Now, this is going to be a little different in, in your new work family because you're going into a new environment, but in your previous work family, that less than 10% of those that you work with know about you. I think something that would surprise them that I really don't talk about and very few people who know me know this. If you're close enough that you've been invited to my house and welcomed into my house, you would see it, is that I have a huge love for fishes. I have a six foot long aquarium at home. And it's kind of been my quiet place. It's a place that I kind of go to just sit, relax, and I will stare at my fishes for for a very long time because it's just so calming and peaceful for me. And so very few people know that, that, you know, I have probably about 40 fishes in that aquarium. Okay, final question. What would you do if you weren't doing this work? 
I would be an IT engineer. It's something that I talked about earlier in the podcast that my love for technology. I was a web developer early in my days. I love technology. I love the idea of how it works. I love that what we can make it do as technology continues to drive our, our world. And I think if that was the, the choice, it would be an IT engineer where I could get to build and use technology uh, to make our lives easier. Love that. Thank you so much, Denzel. I really appreciate your time today. Rebecca, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you for, for using this platform to have these conversations. Ask bold questions and have a heart for listening. I'm Rebecca Metter. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.